0: Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we finish up. We are finishing up, like this is the end of our series on 1 Corinthians. We've success, successfully went verse by verse through this entire book. I'm not going to recap everything or we'd be here for another six months, right? Um, and so what I want to do though is just remind you of the purpose of this book because where he's going to end speaks directly to kind of his overarching point of the book itself. Here's what he says at the very beginning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And as we've worked through this book, we've seen the church had a lot of issues going Uh, Just a lot of issues in it. The people weren't getting along very well. They weren't getting along with their leaders very well. There were factions and divisions within the body of Christ. And the truth is, this happens in all church and will happen in any church. Which is why this letter is so important, that we got to remember to keep our mind focused, be united in our thought and purpose. That is the mission of Jesus Christ and what he's called the church to do. Today, we're going to see uh, Paul give his final exhortations, summarizing what we need to do as a church, what they need to do. And at the very end, he's going to use a bunch of different names. He's going to greet different people. And I don't know about you, but when I see a bunch of names in the Bible, it starts to be like the genealogy sections. I can't pronounce their names anyways. My eyes get glossed over and I'm like, well, I probably got it. Let's just move on, right? Like these names are hard. But we're going to pause there because Paul is doing much more than name dropping. What he's doing and what we can lean in and learn is how there are so many other people, right, helping Paul, so many other people involved in the ministry and carrying out God's purposes and plans, Paul, of course, gets most the attention because he's the one who wrote the letter, so we think through his lens and we look at the world through what he says, but there are so many other people behind the scenes in the church and in other churches stepping up, making it happen, spreading the gospel. And this is very important for us to understand, especially in our culture today, because we can become very leader-centered in the church. Right, It's one thing to develop a leadership culture, where it's, which is what we want to do, where we want to raise up and bring up new leaders to step up and get involved, but it's a whole different thing to try to revolve the church around one leader or one pastor. Right, It's a problem in churches. Pastor worship or thinking that one pastor has all the answers or supposed to have all the answers, that's, that's just setting the church and everybody up for just a bad ride like that's just a bad experience because there isn't one leader who can fulfill all your expectations and desires not one I mean even Jesus couldn't do that right that's why they had so many problems with Jesus because he didn't fulfill their expectations They wanted him to do things a certain way, act a certain way. They had their minds made up. They said, this is exactly what the Messiah is supposed to do. Here's what he's supposed to look like. Here's how he's supposed to talk like this is it. And then the Messiah actually came on the scenes and they killed him. They're like, you're not what we wanted. We're going to move on. We're going to try something different. That's why so many people had problems with him. But when you realize, listen, that you were serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you realize it's not about him meeting your expectations, but it's about you fulfilling his expectations as the one who has all authority, as the one who says he is in charge, right? So then we join him in what he's doing in the world and we change our life and our purpose and our mission, no longer about ourselves and what we're doing, but we join him in what he's doing in the world. So in order to carry out the purposes and the mission of Jesus Christ, it takes the church, It takes the community he established of people who declare he's Lord to come together, bond together, join together in his purposes and his plans. The way we talk about it here at this church is we are here to make and mature disciples. We believe that's what Jesus has asked us to do, and it takes a community, all of us together, to carry this out. The church, well, the church is a team sport. To be a Christian without a local church where you are investing in and being invested in is like saying you play football, but you don't have a team. You can throw the ball in the air to yourself all day long. You can go out there, practice drills, talk about your slick moves with nobody trying to tackle you. You can do all of that in your front yard, but you can't say you're actually playing football. In the same way, to be a Christian, to join in with what God's doing in this world, to follow Jesus Christ, you need a church. You need a community of God's people who you are joining in with to carry out what He's asked us to do. And Jesus never called you or me to be spectators who simply come, sit down, and watch other people do it. He didn't call us to be fans, He called us to join in, to be on the team to play our part to participate. And we're going to see just a quick survey of all the different people that Paul had. And there's a ton of other people that we don't know. But we're going to see him just name drop all these different people who were involved in this game doing what Jesus asked them to do. And we're going to see the instructions he gives them, and they can kind of speak to us. And I just want to give you a heads up that, listen, this section is one of the hardest sections to actually preach in the whole book because there's not one unifying thought. He's ending it. And what Paul does when he ends a letter, he's like, hey, I could keep going on. I'm just going to quick rapid fire a whole bunch of stuff at you. Okay, so it's not one big unified section. I'm going to do my best at the end to bring it all together. But here's what you need to know just in case you fall asleep. Okay? We need more people stepping up into their God-given roles. We need more people using their spiritual gifts and doing what God has asked them to do. And if you're sitting here today, that means you to get involved, to not be a spectator, to not be a fan, to not just sit back idly while other people do it. We need you to get involved in this mission, to be a part of making and maturing disciples for Jesus Christ because it takes a community it takes all of us to do this last week we ended where Paul was giving them instructions on the collection for the Jerusalem church and we saw him lay out his travel plans that never actually happened but we saw him lay them out so he's this continuing this thought of what the future holds we're going to finish up today verse 10 he says this he says when Timothy comes don't intimidate him He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with the other believers. So Timothy is a disciple of Paul. We we see him mentioned throughout Paul's letters, and we even have two letters that he specifically wrote to Timothy about pastoral ministry, which are first and second what? Timothy, right. You're like, man, I knew that one. That was good. That wasn't Jesus, but I knew that answer. Like, I got this. Right. First and second Timothy, he wrote them instructing him on ministry. And we know that Timothy was much younger than Paul because evidently people were, and Timothy was kind of self-conscious about his age. Because we see him writing his letters like, hey, don't be discouraged about your youth. Just live a life worthy of calling and, and kind of preach the truth. And so he's kind of like worried about his age. And now Paul's sending him here. He's like, hey, don't don't beat up Timothy. I mean, do you think people look down upon other people because they're younger? Do you think older generations can look down on younger generations and go, well, they're younger, they don't know what they're talking about? What do you think? Why do you think I know? <laughs> right. Of course they do. Of course, But it's been a common problem. This is a common thing. And so Paul vouches him and says, listen, he's doing the same work as I'm doing. He's coming. He's pastor like I've taught him. He's coming to you. And what we see Paul doing here, we see Paul training and discipling the next generation of leadership for the church. He's discipling and raising up and training the next generation of leadership for the church. And this is what this church had to work through. It's what our church has to work through. And it's what every single church in the world has to work through. Handing off ministry to the next generation. This is a massive struggle for everyone. But it's extremely important if you want to develop a healthy church and a disciple-making church, knowing that everything we're doing is to hand off to the next generation of people. To raise up and train the next level of disciples who will own it, love Jesus, and run with it. Because discipleship is all about developing others and handing off ministry. And the most difficult thing, and you know this already, I'm just going to remind you so we're on the same page as we talk through this, the most difficult thing to understand about the next generation is they're not your generation. The next generation is not your generation. Do you think, and so it's a little different back then because times didn't change as much as they do now, but have y'all noticed how fast-paced the world changes now? How do you think the kids feel who grew up in that? You think it's hard on you? How do you think it is on them? But the generation, the next generation needs to love Jesus, right? Have a relationship with Jesus, and then embrace ministry for the next generation. We can't pass through the past. They've had their time. We want to honor them, we want to cherish them, we want to love them, but we want to develop future leaders for the future ministry of the church. Every generation, God raises up new leaders for their generation and their mission of making and maturing disciples. And the problem we constantly see throughout Scripture, you read your Old Testament, it's all over there, is each generation forgets about the next generation. Read the book of Judges. Every generation has a, can, like, there's this, this thing inside all of us. We can get complacent, we can get content. And we can get so busy enjoying our life that we forget to develop the ones coming up. To pass down the faith, to raise up the next generation of leaders. It's possible to get so absorbed in your world that you're not thinking about the world and the church you're leaving behind for the next generation. It's extremely possible that you can put your needs in front of their needs. Instead of learning to pass it off and hand it over. George Lovell instructed this church. you don't know who George Lovell is, you will. Just come a little bit longer. You'll learn about George Lovell. George Lovell, and I have the quote hanging in the entrance of the church. He says this. He says, we of this generation, so let's go ahead and apply it today too, even though he said it a while ago. He says, we of this generation stand between our forefathers and our grandchildren. Our forefathers have already inherited their reward. They're, they're in heaven. They got it. They're, they're enjoying their, their, their place with the Lord. He says, our grandchildren must inherit from us a living church. A living church. And my assumption is he didn't, and I didn't say this, George Lovell did. Blame him, right? This is what he says. He says a living church, and my assumption is he didn't mean a church that's on life support, barely making it. I don't think he meant a living church is just thinking about the good old days from the past, not thinking about what's in store for the future. My assumption is he wanted FBC to pass down the faith and ensure the next generation is inheriting a living, breathing, God-honoring church on fire for Jesus Christ. That is all of our duty. To not just be complacent and content and happy about our situation, but to push forward to ensure the next generation inherits a great church. And this is simply, folks, this is simply called disciple making. You see, Jesus knew he wouldn't be on earth forever, so he made disciples. Paul knew he wouldn't be on this earth forever, so he trained up and raised up the next generation of disciple-makers. Success in ministry isn't when you're doing all the ministry when you're the one doing all the work. Success in ministry is when you're discipling up, training up, and passing on ministry to other people, allowing them to serve, allowing them to lead, allowing them to use their God-given talents and abilities so they can, listen, so they can internalize those, And then get creative and start trying to reach their generation and the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in order for that to happen, let's look back at this verse. He says, don't what? Intimidate. The church don't intimidate younger generation, do they? They would never. He says, we must, we must never act in a way where the next generation is fearful or power is used against them for them to, in order to carry out their ministry to which God has called them to do. He says, don't treat them with contempt, which is looking down on them because they're younger, looking at them as they're beneath you somehow, as if they're not valuable and important and being called by the Lord just as you are. So we must invite them into the conversation. He sums it up. He says, hey, I want you to send him on, on his way with the blessing. And for us today, we need to make sure we're blessing the next generation. We're paying it forward. We're setting them up for success. We're doing what we need to do to ensure they have what they need to carry out ministry in their time, hoping then they will do the same thing. Just as we talked about last week, somebody else, it wasn't this generation, built these buildings. Someone else did that to ensure we could be here today so we could carry this out. In the same way, we want to make sure we're doing whatever's possible to reach and set up the next generation for success. Paul says, consider how they feel is what he's saying. Think about them. Pay attention to them. And for us as a church, we need to make sure we're thinking about, are we creating environments for the next generation? Or are we creating environments so we feel comfortable and content? Although we're already going to heaven, we already know Jesus. We've had our families. A lot of them are out the door. They're actually living on their own. we got grandkids now. Rather than that, we're thinking, about, hey, would our grandkids like our church? Or we're creating environments that they feel comfortable and welcome so they can embrace the faith just like we have. And we just have to understand it will look different than your generation. Everything changes. It's just the way the world goes. Verse 12, that's about Timothy. He says, Now about our brother Apollos. I urged him to visit to you with the other believers, but he was not willing to go right now. He will see you later when he has the opportunity. Now, This church, if you've been with us, we know that they loved Apollos, right? We saw from early in the letter where they were pitting Paul and Apollos against each other. And Paul's like, what are you doing? We're on the same team. He's a better speaker. That's fine. No big deal. We're coming together. We both represent Jesus. But there was divisions about this. And and what I love about this is we don't know why Apollos doesn't want to go. I'm sure Jeb will ask me later. I don't know. Nobody knows why Apollos doesn't want to go to the church. We, We don't know the timeline. But what we do know, and this is really cool, Paul's saying, I urged him to visit you. So although some people are saying, Apollos is better than you, Paul, they're saying, look, he's speaking. We want him to come, not you to come. Paul's like, look, I wanted him to come. Like, I'm not jealous of this guy. I'm not worried about him. If his get things are better than mine, that's okay. Like, it's all right. It's kind of like this morning. Scott's voice is still messed up. Two weeks now. I think he's playing it out. You have to call him and ask him about that. I don't know. I think he's making an excuse. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, he's not. He's doing children's right now. But what is great is we had Josh step into that role. There was no envy. There was no jealousy. It's not like, well, Josh. It's like, Josh, Scott's like, man, my voice. Josh's like, hey, I'll step in and help. I got you. Scott's like, great. I'll go help you. There's no jealousy. There's no envy. They're like, hey, let's just help each other out because we are the church. There's no fighting. There's no worrying about whose job or what it looks like. We're just coming together to do what the Lord's asked us to do. And so envy and jealousy can be a problem in the local church. We just need to be aware of it. But there's no need for it. Because we all are just using the gifts that God's given us. That's it. That's all we're doing. Moving on, verse 15. We're going to skip 13, 14. I'll come back to it. He says, you know that Stephanas and his household were the first harvest of believers in Greece. And they are spending their lives in service to God's people. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. Now, this was a lay leader in the church. Evidently, he was one of the first converts, like he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Um, one of the first people there to do that. So, Paul respects him, and chances are he is wealthy. Scholars can go all into why they think that, but this is a wealthy man who has now turned his full service to the Lord. So the idea is, if you're like, hey, Brian, I'm retired, and I don't know what I should do, here, if you're retired, and you're like, I don't know what to do now, even if you do know what to do, and you're retired, spend your life in service to God's people, what better way to go out? Your golf game's going to get terrible eventually anyways. Age is going to happen. I'm just letting you know. Jessica's granddad, what was it, 90-some, he eventually stopped. In his 90s, like, I just couldn't. Hit. So eventually, it's going to go. It doesn't matter how hard you work on it. But man, you could give your life to the service of God's people. That's what he did. That's what you can do. Keep going. He says, I'm very glad. Next slide. He said, I'm very glad that Stephanus and Fortunus and... A chaos, that's what we're going with today, okay? We're going to keep going. Have come here. They have been providing the help you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me as they have been to you. You must show your appreciation to all who serve well. Now, we have no idea who these other two people are, but they are with this gentleman right here, and because of their names, scholars think they were probably former slaves, They're now freed people walking around and walking around using and spreading the gospel. Um, But they are here to give Paul support. And what I love about this is it just shows like Paul needed encouragement. If you didn't know and maybe you're perhaps just now experiencing it, ministry can be tough. Ministry can be exhausting. Ministry can just downright wear you out. But we see these guys come to meet Paul from the church and give him encouragement. Come beside him and help him. And, like, I just want to remind you as a church and remind me that sometimes just those encouraging words and those nice letters or those texts, I get them from you guys all the time. I mean, this church is very good at this, but just encouraging people and thanking people, like, never forget the power of an encouraging word. Never forget how that can turn someone's day around. It can help them to be an encouragement to them. And me and you, we must be there for each other. We must be intentional about showing gratitude. You see, true ministry breaks down the wall of formality and professionalism. You know, professionalism keeps people at bay. That's why it's professional. Here's my professional life. Here's my private life. But unfortunately, it's not possible in the church because we minister to people's real life. And in order for us to minister to your real life, we got to know you. we got to get involved with you. And if you're going to let me in your life, you got to know me. And you got to know that I'm safe and I can talk and we can work through these things. So ministry takes vulnerability, it takes authenticity, and it's scary. But we need it. We need to be there for each other. That's the only way you're going to get help, true help, is when you're vulnerable and share those things with other people. Next verse, verse 19. He says, The churches here in the providence of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the churches who gather in their homes for church meetings. So we've talked about this couple before. They were former Corinthians, and we see them named all over the place. Evidently, they're missionaries. They travel all over the place teaching about Jesus. They're the ones who trained Apollos, and they have house churches. Like They're going around setting up, planting churches. It's pretty nifty. So they've started a church in their home. They're like, hey, they send their greetings because that's where they're from. Next verse. He's saying, all the brothers and sisters here send greetings to you. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. So Paul reminds them, with says, hey, look, you're not alone. we got the other house churches, the other people who are doing this thing. They send you greetings. And and just what I want you to see from this is the number of people involved, the number of people working, the number of churches going on, the collectiveness of this community of people. Like as churches, we need to partner with other churches. And we're not in competition with other churches. We're all on the same team. We're all trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. It'll look different. Some churches have better preaching, like here, right? That's just—it's okay. It's all right. Like we just have better preaching than other ones. It's okay. Like we're—we're we're, we're fine with that. But other churches have other things. Like there's going to be different things for different folks, and that's okay. But we're all on the same team. We're all trying to reach people for Jesus. We're all trying to to disciple them. Now about this holy kiss, we're just not going to do that. Okay. This We're going to fist bump instead or a handshake. Just letting you know, we're not going to follow those instructions. Those of you who are pretty legalistic, you work that out on your own time. Verse 21. He said, and here's my greetings in my own handwriting. That's not his handwriting. But it was in the letter. So Paul would sign at the end of his letter so they knew it wasn't fake, and knew it wasn't plagiarized, they knew this wasn't like someone else writing this about Paul. He would autograph it. That'd be pretty cool to have it. We don't have it. But it's not my own handwriting Paul. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. There it is. Our Lord come. May the greeting of the Lord Jesus be with you. <laughs> my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. And so Paul just finishes off with the standard goodbye, and part of his goodbye is, and you're cursed if you don't love Jesus. Add that to the bottom of your emails, by the way. Like, and by the way, if you don't love Jesus, you're cursed. It's a Christian thing. I saw in Corinthians, that's what we do. Right? He's just saying, hey, this is serious stuff. Like, Jesus is serious business. Like, there's no doubt Jesus is the way. And so, to bring all this together, right? It's super hard to bring all this together. So we're just going to go with it. What we must remember is how many different people come alongside Come alongside Paul. Come alongside this church to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. Gospel ministry, true gospel ministry is good news ministry takes the collective effort of everybody involved. And the same is true for us. As a church, we need your commitment for us to pull off what we are committed to pulling off. And what we want to do is make immature disciples. That is where we're going. That's where we believe Jesus asked us to. We're not derailing from that. That's where we're headed. We want to make immature followers of Jesus Christ. And there are several areas in which we need your help. Two particular areas of commitment. You're like, Brian, you can ask me to get involved? Yes, that is today. Two areas in particular we need your help. First up, The next generation ministries. We need your help in the next generation ministries. We need more volunteers helping us in preschool Sunday school and preschool church time. That is birth through kindergarten. So if you like birth through kindergarten, this is the ministry from you. And what we are trying to create, just to give you a heads up, we want to put people in rotations. We know that churches have a horrendous history of burning people out. Y'all ever volunteered for some at a church and 30 years later you're like, man, I was just trying this out one Sunday. I don't know what happened. Like, I've just, I'm still here. I didn't even sign up for this. It just got, never got trained. No one ever taught you what to do. They just threw you in. We don't want to do that. We have done that. We don't want to do that. And so, what we want to do is we want to put you in rotation. So, if you sign up for it, you're going to have a week on, maybe a week off. We want you, we've seen this work in our high school over the years where we had some really good volunteers who would invest their time in, and then the next week they would rotate and people say, well, they don't have the same teachers. You're right. They'll have the same four teachers. It'll be okay. Kids are smart. They can build relationships with more than just one person. I promise you. They do it at school all the time. Very possible. But build a rotation so then you can go to Sunday school. Then you can be with your class and get involved, but then also participate in making disciples. It's a great thing to do. So we need preschool help. We also need children's help. So we need children's Sunday school. That's first through fourth grade. If you're like, hey, I love first through fourth graders, God bless you. We need your help. All right, Sunday school or during children's church time. Right now, that's where Scott is with Morgan, doing children's church time, hanging out there, hanging out with them. And we have a ton of video-driven curriculum, which means you need to prepare, but it's a little bit of preparation. We have a lot of different things to make it easier for you to volunteer. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You can just join in. We'll train you how to do it. We also need middle school Sunday school teachers and volunteers for Sunday nights. The same is true for high school. And so that's Sunday mornings, right? Middle school has. Now, that is a very weird age. If you didn't know, middle school is a very weird age. You got to have a heart for middle schoolers. Or you're not going to make it. I'm just letting you know. All right. But that's fifth grade through eighth grade. Like if you got excited that Eric stayed up all night on Friday night and you're like, I want to be a part of that and clean up, throw up like Eric did. This is the ministry for you. That wasn't a good sales pitch, was it? It was a horrible sales pitch. But listen, middle schoolers, they have that, this is the fun time. If you're still a kid and you want to go bowling and you want to play laser tag and you just want to go to, this is the ministries for you because that's the goal here. And then, of course, we have high school, which is picking up some momentum. They're doing really great. We need volunteers for that. And as far as young adults, feel like, hey, I have a passion for young adults. I love dealing with 18 through 25-year-olds. I can fix all of their problems. If that is you today, we'd love for you to help with that. we got some volunteers there, but we'd love to have more. But we need more people who are willing to commit to helping the next generation embrace the gospel. And here's the deal. If you have kids in those environments, I need you to stop sitting on the sidelines expecting someone else to disciple your children. If you have a child or student involved, we need you to be involved right now again we have several people we want to put them on rotation but i need you this morning and i love you to stop making excuses on why you're not involved and if you're waiting for an invitation here it is you are invited to participate in what we're doing at this church to reach excuse me to make immature disciples Nowhere does the Bible say go take your church somewhere else for someone else to disciple your kids. That is your job. And you need to help participate and help with us. You're like, Brian, I got preschoolers. I don't want to deal with preschoolers. I got it. Me neither. Go deal with high schoolers. Like, you don't have to necessarily work with the age group of your kids. You can work with another age group. There's all sorts of different things you could do. But if your kids are involved, we need your participation because that is the secret. It's not really a secret, by the way. But that is a secret to a great functioning uh, next Generation Ministry. Everybody involved. And so if you have kids, I need you to be involved. We're going to be calling you if you're already not. Or you can get ahead of us. You can put your name in the little paper that's in your bulletin, in your worship God. There's a paper. You can check which one you want to do. Or we're going to call you. Either way, we're going to talk to you more about this. This is not a place for you just to consume. This is a place that you've been called to produce. To give back. To use your God-given talents for Him. And so, if you have kids or if you have ever been a kid, we welcome you to join us. Anybody here ever been a kid before? See, y'all just don't raise your hands. Everybody's been a kid here, okay? Everybody. Yeah, we'd love for you to participate and be involved. You're like, Brian, I don't have the skills. That's fine. Me neither. You'll be okay. We got you covered. Josh will figure it out. That I'll just tell him to figure it out. All right, next up. So that's Next Generation Ministry. We need your help there. Next ministry that's coming up, and I've been talking about this for a while, and it's finally coming, and I'm super excited about, it, is our re-engage marriage ministry. All right, so the behind-the-scenes work is starting to be, um, s- is starting to come together, and right now we're going to need a ton of help. We have two deacons who happen to be married, who are leading this ministry for us, and we are super excited about it, right? So we have the leadership, and this is a ministry that's for people who need help in their ministry, people who want to reconnect, re-engage, or you need to a, a resurrect, like, it doesn't matter where you're at. This is a, a big marriage ministry we're going to have at this church. And here's where it's going to be. It's going to be on Wednesday nights. It will be our Wednesday night programming one day. I don't know exactly the start day, but it will be our Wednesday night program. We're going to focus on helping this community have better marriages. It, we believe it's important, and we need your help with this. So this is the strengthened marriages. And again, it's not like, hey, if your marriage is just falling apart, you can come. No you just want to get a little bit better at marriage, who doesn't need to get a little bit better at marriage other than me? My wife says I'm perfect. It's awesome. But other than me, who doesn't need to get better at it? Right? We all do. So this marriage ministry is for all sorts of people and we need your help. And so we're going to need your help. Um, We're going to need a leadership team put together. We already got the leaders of it, but if you want to be on the leadership team, like, Hey, I want to be a part of this. We're going to need people to shepherd couples. Which means you and your spouse would shepherd other couples, work through the material, and whoo, this material is transparent. I'm just letting you know. It's marriage stuff. It gets involved, but it's amazing. It's amazing. So if you're like, hey, I want to shepherd people, hey, we got that for you. So we need small group leaders. We need volunteers that will greet people as they come in. We need people who will be behind the scenes um, organizing food. We're even going to need people to watch other people's kids so they can get better at marriage. Because you know if you've had kids, kids try to destroy your marriage. That's like their number one goal. That's what they do. And so we're going to need to create a great environment on Wednesday night for their kids so the kids will drag their parents to work on their marriage. Because if the kids want to come, the parents will come. The parents are not, they're going to be like, I don't know if I want to go. And the kids will be like, I want to go. And that's how that works. We're going to make them have a better marriage through their kids. The vision night, write this down, the vision night for this. I'm not asking you to do anything for this. If you may be, want to be involved in the re-engaged marriage ministry, here's all I'm asking. is on May 3rd. It's a Wednesday night at 530. I need you to sign up for the vision night. And listen, we got to get better at signing up around here. Because if we're going to provide food and we're trying to do these things that, that make things a little bit nicer, we got to know how many people's coming. And so may, on May 3rd at 530, we're inviting you out to a vision night. We're going to talk about the ministry. We're going to talk about what we need, how you may be able to get involved, and what it's required. So not asking you for anything today on that. I'm just asking you if this is something you'd be interested in. May 3rd at 5.30, you can sign up on our church website. You can scan the little barcode on your phone in there, um, or you can write on a connection card. Put me down for May 3rd, and we'll contact you about that. Again, no commitment. Just coming out to the vision meeting. Because... Building stronger marriages produces stronger families, which make stronger communities. Marriage is a big deal, and we want to help them here in our church. So these are two important discipleship ministries. We need your help in the next generation and for this marriage ministry. But there's a ton of different other ways you can get involved. On that, in your bulletin insert, the worship God there's a checklist. You want to be like, hey, I want to sing, sing. If you want to be an usher greeter, we'd love to have you. If you want to be on security, we'd love to have you. There's a ton of different ways to get involved, but the main focus, the main priority of everything we do is making and maturing disciples. So we need help in those areas because that's what Christ has asked us, to, asked us to do, and there's a lot of support that goes into that as well. And listen, I just want to remind you, some of you, you may say, hey, I've, I've signed up in the past, and y'all dropped the ball, you never contacted me. Hey, we're sorry. We own that. I forgot to call you. We'll blame me. It's probably Scott's fault, though. He's not in here. We'll blame Scott. Scott forgot to call you. I understand that. But if you just let us know, bother us, sign back up again, we're going to make sure to connect with you this time. And when it comes to serving the Lord, this is his final exhortations for us. This is what he says to sum up the letter. He says, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. So be on guard. He says, look out for anything that seeks to destroy the church. We can never forget we have an active enemy trying to take on this church, trying to derail our ministries and separate us. Listen, we must be on guard against those things. We must be alert like a soldier standing ready for it. And he says, stand firm in the faith. We're going to take a stance on the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're not going to back down. We're going to be driven. We're going to be biblically oriented. We're going to stand on the truths of the Bible. And we understand that's going to put us counterculture, and we're okay with that. Being counterculture, it doesn't mean we do it hatefully, but we're going to stand on the truth of God's word. We're going to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. It's automatically going to make us think a little bit differently than the people around us. But we're not the first generation to ever have to deal with that. It's a constant thing. It's what the gospel does. And he says, be courageous. So if you're a little fearful about serving, you're a little fearful about what the gospel may lead you to, you can't be courageous if you don't have a little bit of fear. So maybe you're a little bit nervous. That's okay. Be courageous. That's what I tell my kids all the time. Be courageous. Be bold. It's all right. He says, be strong. And the only way to gain strength is to go through a little tension, to make it through on the other side, to persevere. You know, in order to get stronger muscles like me, you got to lift weights. And if you lift those weights, it breaks down your muscles. It's painful and it hurts, but it creates the strength. So sometimes we've got to go through those painful experiences. We've got to go through that, persevere, to get strong. And lastly, most importantly, do everything with love. Church, that's what we're about. Everything we need to do is out of love, out of the gospel, out of what Jesus has done. And the reason why we pour our lives into other people, the reason why we watch other people's kids, the reason why we stay up all night with them is because of love. Because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And the overflowing of what he's done in our lives, we then do for other people. And when I end with this, we're almost done. Just like any team or organization, we want to honor and respect the past. I am an avid Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And anytime you talk to me and you start talking about how we're not good, the first thing I will do is throw up that we have six Super Bowls. Every time. It's part of the heritage of the team. It's something I'm proud of. But every year, the coaching staff and the players focus on the season coming up, not the season in the past. And so we want to be proud of the past. We want to be proud of the heritage. But the best way we can honor everything that's happened before is is to make sure we're charging off in, in the future to make and mature disciples. And that's what I'm asking us to do. There's so many great things happening at our church. We're on this tipping point. It's very interesting to see. So many things are starting to come together. And if you continue to help, just watch. If you continue to invest and you continue to give your life away to other people, watch what the Lord does through that. Lives are being transformed right now, folks. We're seeing a ton of people have a ton of life change happening. It's because of all of you. It's because of your serving. It's because of your giving. It's because of your participation. And we thank you for that. But most importantly, I hope you're doing it for Jesus. He's our motivation. He's the reason. So he gets all the glory. But we simply need your help. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. So come on. Get involved. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today with thanksgiving. For all the people who've poured their lives into our lives to make us who we are. All the people who taught us, all the people who shared their lives, who had those conversations, who came over when needed the help. Lord, we thank you for all of those people who invested in us. We know that we would not be here without the sacrifice of the previous generation. So Lord, we ask that you help us pay it forward so we can invest in the next generation of people. We ask that you use our church in a mighty way for the gospel. Father, give us the courage and the strength we need to invest in other people's lives. Show us and nudge us how you want us to get involved in all that is happening at this church. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.